0: to the Word in Revelation chapter 4. Um, I don't know if you're understanding, you're get, picking up on what we've been doing here, but your level of, to me, I believe honor and reverence and the glory of God is rising as we go through this book. Um, you're going to see a level and, and, and worship keep growing and rising. The central theme of the book of the, as, as, as I'm going through this is what we just looked at this last week is the throne room, the throne, the one sitting on the throne. That is the that is the central thing that we will continue to go through is the one on the throne. And there's worship going on. There's worship. This is a very worshipful book. And and it, it builds and it grows and, and it's wonderful. So we're going to um, just I just wanted to lay that little bit of foundation as we get going. Um, we. Went into after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. And we're going to go from just about here on. And from the throne produced flashes of lightnings and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever. The twenty four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy art thou Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things. And because of thy will. They existed and were created. Lord, bless the reading of your word. We thank you for it. I pray, God, that you'd give me wisdom and insight and ability to deliver this word and that it would be understood and then applied. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want us to start in, um, I think, where we left off, basically, as we come into verse 6. And I want us to look at the sea of glass. Um, This is... It was a very interesting study. Um, we're going to cover the sea of glass today, the four living creatures, and basically wrap up chapter 4, except for the very last verse, because there is no way I could have crammed that in. So we will do the last verse of chapter 4, and then go into chapter 5, more than likely next week. Um, but s- with the sea of glass, that is a cool study. When when we look at the Bible, and we go back, and we see um, many commentators, and, and there's a connection, I want you to see that in the throne room, And you're going to see very clearly today there's there's some connection, as we saw last week. God has prepared and he made a tabernacle for Moses. And that tabernacle was a picture of a heavenly tabernacle. Amen. It was a model to show this. This is what there's a heavenly model. We know that 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 Jesus is seated with the father. We know that there's a throne room. There's, there was, after Moses' tabernacle, Solomon built a temple, and it was very similar to the tabernacle, and that is where God resided and, and where he, he lived and dwelt, amongst the people. Amen? So, this sea of glass, if we look at that, um, between John and the throne was a crystal sea that reflected the glory of God. So, be- be- between John, John's here, he's, Seeing there's a crystal sea, you see in the throne and and everything else, there's a crystal sea that's between them. And that is a picture of the bronze laver that was in the tabernacle, Moses' tabernacle. You'd go past the the altar, the brazen altar, you'd go in. The next thing that the priest would go to was that that, um, laver. And it was brass and it was polished, bronze, it was polished to a mirror and there was water inside of it. And they would wash themselves. And, and cleanse themselves before they would go into the temple. Now, this is a really kind of a cool picture because um, it's also the bronze laver, the molten sea, when in the um, Solomon's tabernacle was, was the molten sea, was the same thing, same thing. They would go and they would wash and, and ceremonially be, be cleansed and prepare themselves. Now, the priests washed there before they appeared before the Lord for, for service. That was, um, they would wash before they go in. And that's something that um, we must going to be transferring through as we go into the throne room. That is very interesting. It is also something that we will be standing on. There's there's a substance to it, but it's a crystal, and it's you can see through it. And the fact that it's um, called the Crystal Sea, and then we see in the temple it was called the molten sea is where we see that connection um, i want you to look at something and that is cool talking about water um, the, the heavenly priesthood is already clean okay the heavenly priesthood is already clean they're sanctified and holy right now how are they sanctified and holy one way by the blood of the lamb paul tells us that we are to wash ourselves with the water once again speaking of water to wash ourselves and cleanse ourselves with the water of the word amen so let's look at that where that is and and this i was just going to share verse um basically out of ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 and 27 but being the guy that i am i'm like let's just go in context and read the whole the whole passage and it is father's day and it was kind of funny as i didn't plan this but as this message was laid out and i got done I, i started putting some i'm like oh there's actually some things on fathers in here Kind of cool. So um, in light of that, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 27 says this. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. So what's that? That head, that's a covering. He himself being the savior of the body. Who's the body? That's us, the church. But as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church just like christ i mean that's that's easy right hey husbands love your wives just as christ he just says it so easily just as christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that here we go he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word That word in the washing means bathing. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. You know, I'm going to turn. Don't worry about this, Beth. um, I just want to finish, since we were talking about the mystery thing and before. goes on in that chapter and it says because we are members of his body for this cause a man shall leave his father and a mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is great but i'm speaking with reference to christ and the church nevertheless let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband you see that mystery again now i love that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water of the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle. Church, you see that? Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What I was just saying earlier, that is something we've got to get in us. He's not coming. He, he He's coming for a bride who's been washed. He's coming for a bride who's been Cleansed, that is holy, that is pure. And I love that in this verse we see another picture of Christ in the church. And I have used this quite a few times, but here's another look at why I believe he is not putting the church or his bride through tribulation. Listen to what it says in verse 28. So husbands also ought to love their own wives. He's if I'm if we're the bride of Christ and Jesus is teaching us how we're to love our wives, and he's saying, I'm the example in this to the, to the husband, to the church. It would be very strange if he poured out tribulation and wrath upon his bride. Because he says, so husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are part of his body. Amen? I'm glad you agree with that I thought that was kind of a cool point now at that worst that were the water in the washing um, in the Greek it means bath and this is a cool thing culturally the Jews of the time often took ritual baths to show cleansing or a change that would happen um, to show there has been a change and we kind of do a very similar picture of that in baptism right isn't that a picture that you go into the water That you are washed of your sins, you've been made clean, and you come out. They had a picture of that, um, and it looked like um well said, Mother times a bride was required to do this shortly before her wedding. This was done in a mikveh, which was often a cistern cut out of stone filled by rain. To avoid dirtying the water in the ceremonial mikveh, individuals bathed first. They washed before the mikveh, which is kind of interesting. They're going into this bath, but they would wash before the bath because it was a cistern cut out. And it was filled by rainwater. They didn't want to dirty it up. So the brides would oftentimes bathe, and then they would go into the ceremonial mikveh. And it says um, they washed before the mikveh. If we apply this to our verse, Jesus washes us with the word to make us clean so we can take the mikveh which precedes our marriage to him. So there's a really cool picture there that w- that... He's washing us by the word, but there's going to be, and there was for the brides of that day, a ceremonial bathing before their marriage. You following me? We are going to, we are being washed by the word and then we're going to go through this crystal sea. Now, the cool thing about that is the washing of the water by what? The word. The church has been washed. The church has been washed and will be standing on the word follow me the crystal sea the foundation we've been washed and will be standing on the crystal sea the word of god pretty awesome sea of glass i thought it was super awesome four living creatures maybe that one will get you a little more sparked the four living creatures and before the throne there was, a, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. Now, this, when you look at the living creatures, you're going to see a um, bunch of different references and a bunch of different um, these. These and these are supernaturally powerful angels. These aren't like cherubim that you see like at Valentine's Day. These little short, small, little chubby little cherubs that is not what we're talking about that is the dumbest thing these dudes are bad they are bad cats they 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 are warring angels that are in the presence of God and they are protecting his holiness and his glory you're not coming into that realm we see pictures of seraphim and cherubim and some comments think ah they're the same Isaiah saw seraphim And those were called burning ones. You see when Isaiah, he says, I saw the Lord. And you see this picture. They're very similar, but there is some differences between the seraphim and the cherubim. Um, These living creatures, to me, they seem like they're a version of the cherubim. This um, is a picture we see. It comes from the Old Testament from Isaiah 6. We see from Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10. And um, the very first time we see cherubim mentioned or what we see living creatures How many know that's kind of a cool thing to do when you can go back and look, okay, where were these creatures first? What was their their purpose? What was going on? We go all the way back into Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, and if you have time, you can read ahead of that. Um, I don't have that much of it today, so we're just going to read Genesis 3.24. And he said, so he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. He placed two cherubim, obviously plural, at the entrance to the garden so that man could not come back in and could not eat from the tree of life. They were guarding that and protecting that. Okay, that is kind of cool because that is like a picture. It's what God is wanting, as you see, he's going to reestablish what was going on in Genesis and, and what, what we had in the garden, that's going to be reestablished for eternity. And he is protecting that. He's guarding that. Um, no one's going in. And and the interesting thing with the cherubim is that in this, you see God's driving Adam and Eve out of the garden. He's driving them out of that place. And we see that that's, that is punishment. That is, that is a punishment. You done messed up. But it's also a very awesome act of mercy. See, God drives Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they are not eternally in a state of death. Had they ate from that tree of life, they would have eternally be in that state. And Jesus came and set us free so that we are not eternally in that state. You follow me? So that is, yes, it is a punishment, but it's also the mercy of God. And that's something that we see a really good father do. Amen. That was a picture of the father. I'm like, wow, that is that is the model that we have of a father. There is times that we need to be disciplined. There is times that there is punishment. But it's not that we go here and then our mercy drops. It's in the fact that there's mercy. God is a merciful God. He's also a just God. There's times he will punish it and he will punish us and discipline us for our own good. Amen. That is what happened from the beginning. He had to drive him out of like he didn't want to take him out of there. He's like, I built this for you. I wanted to inhabit this with you. I want you to share every part of it. This is an amazing and perfect environment. But you can't stay now. Because I don't want you to, to be in this sinful state, in this state of death forever. Amen? So, these cherubim, are we see first come on the scene. They are guarding the the entrance into the garden so that man cannot go back there. Um, also, we see these, these symbols and, and these cherubs that they're sculptures in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle of God and in the temple, there's sculptures of them. And there's even in the, um, the, the linings of the, um, of the walls that were the material that was in that temple. It said that there was cherubim that were embroidered into those. Now, it's very interesting that they represent and they're always around the presence of God. You see these cherubim um, in the temple, in the mercy seat. Remember, in the in the the holy of holies, in the in the mercy seat, there was hammered solid gold a seat that sat on top of it, and there was two cherubim on the mercy seat of God. That is, once again, in the holy of holies, you see these cherubim. Now that is pretty cool. Um, they are. They are said, and there's a link. um, Now, I want you to see that the Ark of the Covenant is separate than the mercy seat. Okay, a lot of people say the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat's all one. It's not. The Ark of the Covenant is one piece of furniture. The mercy seat sits on top of it as a separate piece of furniture. That's where the cherubim are. And when God manifested in the temple, this is just cool, he manifests between the cherubim. Now remember when we see the picture of what John is seeing in the heavenly place. You see God is sitting on a throne. You have 24 elders and the what? Four living creatures. The presence is in the middle. This is the exact picture and a model of what was designed that God told Moses, this is what you need to build. And then then Solomon divided Designed to be similar, very similar, same process, (coughs) same principle that the four living creatures or that the cherubims would be in the, in the, around the presence, the very presence of God. And that's where God would manifest himself. Same way it is there. Kind of cool. And literally was called, he was referred to as he who dwells between the cherubim. You'll see that phrase in scripture. He who dwells between the cherubim. And he still dwells between the cherubim today. In Ezekiel, they are alike. It's very interesting in Ezekiel. Each one of the four has on them a face of an ox, a man, an eagle, and a lion. Each one of them. And they can move in all directions all at once. In that, there's wheels. and um, We don't see that in this one, and, and I don't know why. I don't know if this was... Um, I don't know there's lots of thoughts on it my thought could be that Isaiah is on earth and he sees this and they need wheels to roll around earth I don't know in heaven you don't need wheels apparently I don't know there's different times I know there's different dispensations it might be that that at different times um, I know in, in Revelation this throne room that John is seeing is being set up before him it's it's not like something in the past he's going into the future and this throne room, when you read it in the in the original text, it is as it is all like being put before him. So I don't know if they're, they've changed over time. I don't know, okay? I just don't. I've tried to figure it out. I don't know. But I know the original ones had all those same faces. The ones that John sees in the throne room, each one of them are one, and they have a face of a lion, a face of an ox, or maybe it's interpretation. I don't know. But it seems from what I'm reading that, those same four faces are there in in Ezekiel they're all the same each, each one of them have four on each one in John's each one has one face okay you follow me it's distinct now if you're like me I go what does that mean like what are they representing now this is kind of cool in the Old Testament passages it seems that they represent all of God's creation The lion as the king of the wild animals. The ox calf as the chief of the domesticated animals in those days. The face of a man represented and created the image of God. And then the eagle as the king of the birds. They represent that all nature joins in and praises God. All creation joins in and praises God. They also show us by honoring the one on the throne that God is sovereign over all of his creation. All of those Faces of those living creatures are all worshiping before the throne all the time. So that's showing that they are all sovereign. They are under subjection to this Creator. Amen. And a fun little fact in chapter 4, um, John is seen and what is being worshiped is the Creator. When you go into f- 5, it's the Lamb is being worshiped. So this is all having to do with the Creator. Now, as we go into the New Testament, I'm glad you asked. That looks a little different. And I don't know what order that is. I should have put page numbers on this deal. As we go into the New Testament, um, Augustine believed and saw a picture in the Gospels, in the four Gospels of the four living creatures. Kind of cool. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. Okay, you hear me? This is just thus saith what I read. And I find a lot of commentators, a lot of church history We'll see this. Um, I can go into a lot more detail if you're into this um, on each of the four Gospels and a bunch of representations. But for now, um, the early church history, Augustine in about A.D. 400 made a connection with the living creatures and Christ in the four Gospels. And this is pretty cool. In Matthew, he appears as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, he in Matthew's Gospel, he gives the lineage of his Jewish ancestry through Judah. And that is very—it's very Jewish. And Matthew is speaking to the Jews, and he is presenting Christ as the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. And Mark comes the Servant Ox. The Suffering Servant is who Mark is portraying. And it's pretty consistent. Um, after that, you see he, and Jesus who does become a sacrifice for sin. The calf was a sacrificial animal. Um, Luke's emphasis is on the Son of Man. You're going to hear in Luke's gospel Son of Man many, many times. That's his emphasis. And John links him, <laughs> this is cool, John links him to the heaven, that flying eagle. John's gospel is mystic. John's gospel is is heavenward right from the beginning. He's, he's saying, in the beginning was the word. And he's taking Jesus and placing him, like, in heaven, that he is God. He's making that connection. And he's also giving like, heavenly revelation. So, like, John's gospel and as you go into Revelation, he's like, he's speaking of Jesus not on the earth. So, pretty cool connection um i'm not saying thus saith the lord but it is the living creatures you can see those four faces there um john links him that way and that reaches um he has him as the flying eagle that reaches the height of revelation now that's all cool but i want to show you something and that rocks my world and don't put the picture up yet but i but i will let you know when in the book of numbers how many have been like super excited when you read the book of numbers parts of it yeah there's certain parts of it i don't know like and and i've read through the bible a handful of times um there's been a handful of times that i went I, in my journeys of and i mean i've read every single word there's been some of my times of reading through the bible um, and i don't count those as completely reading through the bible that i went yeah okay you follow me like this was and begot and begot and begot and begot and begot and, begot, and There was 12,000 of this and 12,000 of that and 120,000 of that. You're just like, okay, I got you. Then I'm going to come back over here now. Our God is awesome. How many would believe and know that every single detail is there specifically for a purpose? How many believe that like God is, is very exacting? He doesn't speak in like. A lot of times, I mean, sometimes he will see like, you know, kind of general, but when he gives numbers, there's a, there's a reason. Now, I've never saw this reason. I've never understood this reason until studying the book of Revelation and the four living creatures. Now, this is where I get like, and this other stuff was super cool, by the way, but this is awesome. So in the book of Numbers, and and this is God outside of our time and dimension telling Moses, this is how I want you to set up the temple And this is how I want the tribes to camp out before my presence and before my temple. Okay, so God gives order and he tells them, I want you to not just like randomly like move with me. He gives them order and specific direction. And he tells the tribes, there's 12 tribes, he tells them, I want you to camp in four camps. I want you to camp. And so there'd be four groups of three tribes each. And he specifically says that. And he says, I want these tribes to camp here, these tribes to camp here, these tribes to camp here. You follow me? Now, being priests and Levitical priests and, and Jews, they're exact. If God says, I want you to line up. Now, there was a dimension for the tent and the courtyard of the tent. And he gives them that dimension. And then he says, I want Judah who, Judah, I want Judah Ishakar and Zebulun to camp out, and Judah is camped, that's north, east. He tells them, I want this camp to camp east. And he said to camp, lined up the width of the camp. Okay, so here's the camp, however wide that is. He says, Judah, you're to camp east of that. Now, these Levitical priests take the law, how, how seriously do they take it? very seriously so they go east not northeast not southeast because there's a different there's a distance of east there's a direction of north that's in that line then there's space between they're not camped there they were in line of this camp and the, Le- the levites the priests and the levites they camp around the temple in that space all the other tribes they line up in their signets, and they have, they have a, a banner, and it's a signet, almost like a, a family crest, that they camp under. That each tribe has their own, but when they camp together in when they with around the temple, they they line up under a crest. I wonder what those would be. Hmm. So Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, I want you to line up east. Now, there's 74,600 in Judah. There's 54,400 in Issachar. There's 57,400 of Zebulun. Now, remember, they're only counting fighting men of fighting age. So 30-year-old men and above. Like, that's what they're counting. So in that group, in that cluster, in those three tribes, there's 186,400. Okay, that's great, Pastor Steve. You're going into the numbers thing. Yes. (coughs) Now Ephraim is is the lead for his three tribes of Manasseh and Benjamin, and their signet that they line up under. Oh, did I tell you? Wonder what Judah was. What what symbol was Judah? You think lion? So they line up under lion. Ephraim. His symbol is the ox. And there's forty thousand five hundred of Ephraim. There's thirty two thousand two hundred of Manasseh. There's 35,400 of Benjamin for a total in that camp of 108,100. And they're to camp west of the temple and the Levites. Dude, you're awesome. You copied that off my notes? Gosh, we gotta get Beth a raise. (laughs) Then you have Reuben. He's the Symbol and they line up under the the sign and the the flag of man. There's your number. There's 151,450 of them. And Reuben is camped. That would be south of the temple. And there are 151,000. And then you have Dan. And they're under the sign of the eagle. 62,700 of them, and Dan, Asher's 41,500, Nephtali's 53,400, now this is cool, you see these numbers, now that's just counting the men, so the cool thing, and they're camped out, you gotta remember, you have the Levites, and the and the temple, and their boundaries, and then they're camped around in that area, that distance, then you can add whatever you want, if you, you think they had like two and a half kids, Besides women, kids, like, or whatever. You can say, you can make your dimension go three, four, five, six. It doesn't matter. That if you if it's consistent, right? It's just exponentially gonna grow that equally. You follow me? Okay. So, this is so cool. You have what? You have the presence and the tabernacle and the temple of God right smack dab in the middle of what? The ox? The lion? man the eagle just like the living creatures that are in heaven that we find in the book of revelation there is an extraterrestrial being outside of this universe that was very specific about how he told them to line up and where and and this moved every time they moved this is how they set up camp boom this is how it is and they how many knows this went on for 40 years as their journey through the desert God was wanting and and saying, like, look, this is a model of what is in heaven. Now, I wonder what it looks like from an aerial view. Could we get a picture of that? Now that is not with the exponential numbers. Now you just add that, what's it do? On all ends. It grows bigger. What's at the center? The tabernacle and the Levites. And those symbols, the faces of the four living creatures are represented right there. And we see a picture of heaven and the tabernacle, the four living creatures with a picture of the ox, the eagle, the man, and the lion. You think your God is awesome? I'm telling you, Your guys, your God is awesome. People who say, like, I don't really believe the Bible. You've got a special kind of stupid. (laughs) I'm just going to say, like, the details and the stuff that God, it is in all this stuff that's happening is in some cases thousands of years apart by different authors. And it fits together. And there's information that only an extraterrestrial being would know that's speaking to people for it to happen. Are you following me? Your God is awesome. Now, I know this wasn't the most exciting section that we started with, but hopefully you're starting to warm up a little bit. To God's trying to tell us something, right? He's been trying to tell us something for a long, long time. And his themes are consistent over and over and, over, and every single thing he does has a divine purpose and plan to it. And how many of us don't have a clue most of the time what it is? I'm with you. But here's what I know when I see stuff like this. I can trust him. God's got a plan. I don't understand it a heck of a lot of the time. But I know he's doing something. And he sees from a different view than we do. Are you following me? Yeah. Now, when the four living creatures <laughs> and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings are full of the eyes around them. And I didn't get too deep into that just for the fact that they're all seen. They see everything. There's nothing that they don't see. They're seeing it all. They're not caught off guard. They're sitting around the throne and within in day and night they do not cease to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. These living creatures have enough sense to worship God. And it says in verse 9, I like this, and when the living creatures give glory and honor when this tells me that the praise of the living creatures is not continual sometimes we think that there's just it's just a continuation it's always the same it's just nope. there's times that it comes on strong there's times that it builds and we see that consistently through the book they're always before the throne worshiping and then there's times they just begin to just Worthy, worthy, worthy. And you'll see as we go through this that their songs and the things that they're saying, they will grow. And every single time, it says, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. Now, that's a whole, I I, I could preach a message on that. I'm not going to, but I really so bad wanted to. I was like, man, I want to preach on glory, honor, and thanksgiving. Who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever. They give glory, honor, and thanksgiving. The praise of the living creatures is not continually it's not continuous and it's not always on the same level the word when in the greek or is whenever the greek word is hotan it basically means from time to time from time to time and over and over again so it's from time to time and over and over again so they will worship before from time to time and it's not just once you follow me it says these living beings overflow in great outpouring of glory that is something that you're going to see as we go through this book that it's consistency of the of the living creatures and the living creatures at times will give out and and be a messenger and be part of the wrath that's going to go out pretty interesting these these guys are no joke they uh overflow in a great outpouring of glory give honor and thanks to the one on the throne this happens eight times in the book of Revelation. Eight times. And 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 just so we're clear, like this is a very like it's a quickly book. It's stuff's just going through, and we see it's it's specified eight different times that they're worshiping and giving glory to God. And every single time they do, guess who else does? Twenty four elders. Every single time. And it grows and it builds. So that is what it should be like here. I like that. Like I was a little nervous, not nervous, but I prayed this week. I said, Lord, we had such an amazing outpouring. Last Sunday, I don't want people to try to copy that. I don't want people to try to, okay, well, this is how we did it. And, well, I didn't have a good service if it's not like that. Because it's not always the same even in the throne, even around the throne. There's times that it builds. There's times, and and we'll see that and we'll experience that in the service, right? You'll feel sometimes the presence of the Lord starts and then it just kind of builds and it kind of builds. And that's what's going on in heaven. But it's not continuous all the time that way. You follow me? Like, we want it to be authentic. We want it to be real. We don't want it to be something that we're trying to rehearse or make it like we did before. Amen? Because we're to worship God in what? Spirit and truth he knows when it's fake and not real, amen? He goes on. Well, this is kind of cool. It says in verse 9, to he who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. That stood out to me a lot this week, too. I mean, we know God's, like, always living, but what stood out to me is, like, there was an old song. It was Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. One of the lines that says, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. Him who lives forever and ever. I don't care about Governor Gavin Newsom, our president, some dictator. but They're all going to pass away. Every single person. I don't care. Everything is going to pass away but one. He is forever and ever. There is none like him. He is the creator. Everything else is created. This is something that just can slide by, but I I want you to think about him who lives forever and ever. There's there's no beginning in him, then there's no end. There's nothing else like him. Everything else has a beginning because it was created. Follow me? He's the one. <laughs> He's the one on the throne. He's the one that everyone's worshipped. He's the one that all, it says all things of heaven, all things of earth, and all things below the earth are going to bow. And they're all going to say, Jesus is king. You following me? Now, I like, it goes on in verse 10, and we're going to wrap up. I'm glad I didn't try to attempt chapter, verse 11. It says, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. Once again, and cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy. Now the 24 elders follow every single time the living beings worship. I love this, that the 24 elders rise from their own kingly thrones and get on their face before the throne of God. It's very important that the 24 elders are seated. They're not like in line waiting. They're not in line, you know, like, well, one of these moments we're going to be able to sit down. That at chapter 4, at Meditata, after these things, John sees the, the church, the 24 elders, seated. They're not waiting to be established. They're not waiting to be crowned. They are seated on thrones, crowned. But there's times in worship that they get off of their throne and they're standing on the crystal sea, on the word of God. And they go on their faces before then they cast their crowns those are those things that that we have earned now we don't earn salvation you you are bought by the price by the blood of the lamb but you will earn crowns and i don't know about you and no one ever says this but why wouldn't we want a bunch of them like well because we're supposed to be humble we're not supposed to like want anything why wouldn't you want like if we get the opportunity To cast crowns before the Lord, and you can have multiple. Let's get a truckload. Like, I want to dump a truckload of crowns. And what are the crowns? They're the works. Those are the things that you've done as a Christian. There's soul winner's crowns. There's going to be crowns for doing the things that God's called you to do. There's going to be overcomer crowns. There's going to be more than I even think are even listed. We're going to rise from our kingly thrones and get on our face before the throne of God, casting our crowns down at his feet. By doing this, this is something that you don't hear in church very much anymore, by doing this, we show, and the church shows that reverence and dependence and our submission to him by getting off of our thrones. Getting on our face before God, casting our crowns, what calls us kings. You've seen what he wants and what we need to be doing now. He's established, he's called us and he's made us kings and priests unto our God. But we got to get off those things and get on our face before God and take all those things that are so important to us and cast them at his feet and have a holy reverence for our God. Reverence. Reverence. I know i've made a lot of changes since i've been here and, and and i'm not against a church if it's a multi-purpose room that's okay like i get it it doesn't have to be something but i'll tell you what the one of the most powerful churches i've ever been in to this day yet was in montana and it was a catholic church i walked in that place and i was overwhelmed by the presence of god and i believe it wasn't because it was a catholic church it's because there was such a reverence there was a reverence when that place was built they that was one of the richest areas in the united states at the time in helena montana more gold was discovered there and those people in that area poured a ton into that church it is magnificent but that doesn't bring the presence of god there's a reverence in that place it was beautiful and there should be i like to see there's a reverence in our father's house that it's different. This is a place where we come to glor- glorify God. And we come and we place things on an altar. And we sacrifice our flesh. And we get into his presence and we worship him. This is different than just any other place. You follow me? And I believe God responds in that way. And he wants us to reverence him. He wants us to honor him. He wants us to have a dependence on him. That we know He's the source. He is our source. That every good and perfect gift comes from Him. That apart from Him, we can do nothing. We must have a dependence on Him. We must have a reverence for Him. And the last one that really nobody likes, including myself really, is it hurts and its heart, is the submission to Him. That you get down low before him because he's worthy. And you go, "Yeah, that's easy." Well, it's not. And you can't tell me you do that very well if you don't submit, and I'm speaking to myself, if we don't submit to the authorities that he's placed over us. It's not possible. You can't say I submit to God and and anyone else that are are, are a, a, an authority. We don't submit to them that are delegated authorities and representatives of him. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean if your authority tells you to do something that's against him, you have to do that. That's the only exception. I'm thankful that when we see this, we see that we should have and we should be on our face before God in a respect, a reverence for, the, for him and for his throne room and a dependence and a submission on him they show us their authority is delegated authority right that's a picture showing us that our authority is delegated authority it means there's one with more authority he's given us authority but not all authority amen i'm saying you're not god and we have to say that today because there's some goofball people in churches that are saying that we're gods. There's one. And I'm not it. And neither are you. We have authority. We've been called kings and priests, but we have a little throne sitting around a big throne. You follow me? And we get up off our thrones, and we fall on our face before God, and we cast everything before him, and we know that we're not him. delegated authority not and it's not an opposing authority it's not an opposition to him how do we know someone's a delegated authority from god because they're not in opposition to him if someone says i'm a delegated authority and i and i have this authority from god but they're opposing there's something different than god and what he stands for quack 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 not a separate kingdom you following me are you guys it's not a separate kingdom we're not building a separate kingdom we're building his kingdom there's one kingdom there's supposed to be one church and he is the head of it this is not my church this is his church and he will build his church a separate kingdom. All of us and all true authority is subject to the one authority. Amen? Amen. If I have the fathers come up